Well, good evening to you out there doing the listening. Welcome to City Trends, your number one technology conversation on Ghana Radio. My name is Philip Ashon and City Trends is sponsored by Hubtel, helping you collect your payments easily and of course niit bringing people and computers together successfully now quick question for you if you're in charge of any social organization group or club then one big question that sometimes you find yourself answering is how do i collect payments from my members whether it's a church group that you have or a school union or a group of friends who are contributing towards a project sometimes it gets and becomes a headache well haptel is giving you one short code to accept all mobile money payments into one account if you're all ready to go then you should just log on to haptel.com and use the referral code c-i-t-i-f-m or dial star 713 hash and all those cares and pains and worries are going to go away so if you're ready to leave behind all that stress of managing all these payments then log on to haptel.com right now or use or dial star 713 hash and then make sure you remember to use the referral code c-i-t-i-f-m your short code will be ready for you in less than an hour and that's the promise that haptel gives you haptel helping you collect payments easily On the show today, we talk about the ultimate digital survival kit for technology entrepreneurs operating anywhere in the world, especially in Ghana with Jamila Abdullah of Circumspect. We also try to answer the big question, how safe is Uber? with Lola Kasim, who is a general manager of Uber West Africa. We also have the how-to segment and the se- the trending segment coming your way. And, of course, your tech segment um, is also coming up on the show. Has your computer developed a problem you don't understand? Is your phone refusing to respond? Is there a computer virus you're battling with? Are you having problems signing into your account? Share your tech problems with City Trends and we will get the experts to help you solve them. Send us your problems via WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. You can also send us a tweet using the hashtag CityTrends. So let's get the show started. Why don't we? The how-to segment of the show features some of the common concepts, tips, and tricks that you need to know regarding the technology that you use on a daily basis. Today, Jeffrey will be sharing some insights about how to use the delete button on Messenger. Take it away, Jeff. Hello and welcome to the how-to segment on City Trends. This evening... We are talking about Facebook Messenger's new feature, which is the delete button. Facebook Messenger now gives you up to 10 minutes to delete a message that you may have made a mistake to send. This new feature will surely get many of us out of sticky situations, whether it's an awkward message sent mistakenly to your boss or an unwarranted hi to your ex. To remove a message, Simply tap on it and select the Remove for Everyone option that pops up. 
the deleted text will be replaced by an alert indicating that the message was removed. If someone just sent a bunch of pictures from their vacation to a group conversation that you are part of, select the remove for me option after tapping on the message. This will only hide the selected messages from your view and not for others in the group. So what does it take to survive in the digital world, in the digital space, in a digital future? And when you consider how things are changing, talking about um, artificial intelligence, people are talking about augmented reality, people are talking about all sorts of things about what the future holds and what the future looks like. Now, you're probably sitting at home wondering, how are you going to survive that sort of future? How are you preparing yourself for that future? And what are some of the things that you need to have today that will prepare you for that kind of future that is literally upon us? Um, these are the conversations we're going to have with um, my guest in the studio today. Jamila is, um, for want of a better description, one of the greatest minds we have when it comes to how we are going to prepare the next generation for the future because she's been writing about the digital space, writing in the digital, influencing conversation about the digital space right here in Ghana and globally. She is the brain behind Circumspect, if you still haven't figured that one out. I'm not sure exactly what you've been figuring out for all these years. Jamila, it's such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much me. for joining us. So what, what does the digital space look like currently? If you can paint us... A lovely picture. What, what does the digital space look like? Um, I think what we're seeing is a gradual transition um, to digital. Through that process, the digital space is becoming a replica. They started using the internet at a very early age, at four years old actually. Mm. Uh, but over the years, in the last 10 years to 15 years, I would say, um, you've seen the digital space open up. And especially when it comes to African countries, initially it became a platform for alternative thinking, alternative conversations, especially when it comes to the economy, the political discourse. Mm. And now you're beginning to see the business elements crop up. Right. So I think that's essentially what's happening. It's gradually becoming a replica of what we see around us, a it, subset of it. It. Does, it does feel that we are we're actually living a lot of our life in, in the digital space already. It doesn't feel like a gradual thing anymore. It feels like that is what everybody... It, it almost feels like people prefer to live the digital side of their life much more than the real side of their life. I don't know if you get that sense <laughs> as well. I do think there's a bit of escapism right. involved right. with going digital. Mm. Um, there's a book by Susan Cain, it's called Quiet. Right. And in the book she talks about uh, a study that was done and they found out that a lot of the, let's say digital entrepreneurs, but also IT gurus mm. and so on, um, they tended to be introverts. Mm. And the reason the digital space or mm. got into the internet businesses was because they didn't actually have to deal with, you know, the, the real-time time interactions mm. with people, mm. which could be a bit overwhelming for them depending on their personality. And so they found that 
escape or mm. space in the digital space. Mm. And so I think there's a bit of that going on. And I mean, we don't have to look far to figure out why <laughs> yeah. uh, there are 110 problems in Ghana and um, life is, is pretty hard for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, but I think we are still just scratching the surface. Mm. Uh, so even though it might feel like everybody's doing it or we are now all figuring it out, Yes, if you want to look at numbers, check the most recent numbers, but we're definitely over 20% of the population is using the internet. Mm. Uh, and that has been growing every year, it, it grows. And that's because people are able to now um, use mobile phones to get online, whereas before you need to actually have a computer, which you might not be able to afford. Of course, you have the telecommunications networks, which are improving. Mm. Um, and then just, yes, there's a bit of the cool factor right. of, of being able to be Absolutely. online. Um, yeah. But there are, of course, still a lot of barriers. So I think uh, when we think of who's online, we still have to uh, crouch it in that reality that it is still the minority that's actually actively online. And for the majority of Ghanaians, uh, they're yet to actually get online um, because of lack of income, lack of time, um, and of course the infrastructure elements, especially as you move out of Accra and out mm. of the capital cities of different regions. Mm. But I mean, in all of this, we know that the rest of the world is not necessarily waiting for us to, to catch up. Everybody is like miles ahead. And I'm thinking about how, what sort of life it would be in like 20 years. I'm not necessarily thinking that we might have the same access probably as the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking about someone in some village about, you know, 100 kilometers or whatever from the center. And they're probably in school or trying to get into school. They are learning from physical books you know, and don't necessarily have access to tablets where they can download information real time. Yeah. I'm just thinking about a student like that and or a young person like that. You know, almost everything is going to be digital. How are they going to survive that? Do, do, do we seem to have a blueprint to bring them into that sort of conversation? Because honestly, when, when I look at it, it doesn't look like we are preparing the population for that sort of digital future. I don't know, what do you think? I mean, I agree with you. I don't think we are actually preparing our youth future. Um, and I think a big part of that has to do with education reform. Right. Uh, but beyond that, it also just has to do with, I think Ghanaian youth, to some degree, need to be a little more proactive. Mm because a lot of the time, from my interactions with young people, especially in universities today, mm. a lot of them are waiting to be given. Right. And mm. the, the, I think one, one of the main requirements for actually starting that journey in the digital space, and as you were asking, um, what is necessary for the toolkit is curiosity. Mm. And so if you're not a curious person, don't wonder how is it possible for one person to be in one part of the world and another person in another part of the world and be able to connect and communicate. Mm. If you don't think in those terms, mm. then already it's a harder way for you to get online, right? right? Um, I'll give you an example. <laughs> this is a, a recurring example where I'll have young people reach out to me. Right now, they tend to get through me through my Instagram account. Right. and. Um, will ask for, oh, we'd like to work with you or intern with you or learn from you in some way. 
And with one of them, I asked, uh, I asked her to send me a CV, mm. to email me her CV, so I would have a sense of interest work. And she sent me the email, but she pasted the CV as a message in the email. Right. Right. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is to give oh, you boy. a sense, right? right? I ended up meeting her in person because I like to do that, meet young people in person and mm. just have conversations with them. Mm. And so I ended up meeting her in person, and she's actually a brilliant person. Mm. Like, she is actually very driven, mm. all of these elements. But if I hadn't gone a step beyond to meet her in person, yeah. I wouldn't have yeah. known that. And so this question of, especially for young Ghanaians today, and I'm sure other Africans, of unemployment, I'm beginning to think they don't have the skill sets. Mm. It's that they don't know how to present themselves mm. in a digital world. Right. They don't know how to apply for a job online. Mm. Mm. Or even if they, their version of this is how I apply for a job, does, is not actually meeting the best practice standards, right. and so they're automatically excluded. Right. So these are the kind of things that we should be addressing in school, right. um, but not just in school, like through our education policy and institutions, but also with regards to on-the-job training, mm. right? Mm. On-the-job training, someone might be working as an engineer and probably won't see why the digital space will be important for them. But think of it as, um, it's that's the way I like to describe it. Mm. It's digital mm. real estate. And in the future, we're going to have, we're already seeing that, as you mentioned, the parallel lives of mm. real life and then digital. Yes. And so some of us are already buying our properties online, yeah. our digital properties. Mm -hmm but the majority are not yet doing it. Mm. And so if you don't begin to educate yourself, begin to figure out, oh, which part of the digital space can I make my home? Can I add value? Mm. Can I build community? End up coming and it's going to look like what Accra looks like right now, right. which is very right. congested. Right. And it'll be really hard for you to make that mark, mm. right? So yes, I agree with you. Um, it, it, it is difficult. And I also think a bit is Accra has a lot of that. Right. So um, for the past three years, I've been doing digital skills trainings, mm. partly to address some of the questions that exactly. you've asked. And then that whole hype around just go online. For me, when I first went online, my father introduced me to the to computers and the mm. digital space. Mm. And so it was a guided was introduction. Right. right. Granted, he let me do whatever I was. I used to sit in Yahoo chat rooms <laughs> and counsel people about <laughs> marriage and relationships oh as a teenager. Oh, they right? had no idea who they were talking to. No, but 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 I <laughs> I, 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 I like to take advice. <laughs> but but the point is, like, I started making those connections very early on yeah. and started learning very early on that the internet is a space that goes beyond sharing selfies, um, uh, stalking. <laughs> you know, high school friends right. or, or just talking politics, right. right? I quickly got a sense of that. And so what I'm trying to do now with Circumspect is to offer digital skills trainings on social media, yes, but also blogging. Right. Uh, and I'll talk about why blogging is important Jeez, as yes, well. Um, and then also just with regards to like being more productive online. So right. some of the skill sets in that regard. And the reason why I'm doing that is because for a lot of people who mm. might want to go online, 
they get online mm -hmm. and which platform you find yourself on you will probably only see in quotes slay queens because that's what people say it's all mm. about slay queens although yeah. some of them are actually also doing other things right. right so you might just see the slay queens or you might just see the mpp versus ndc rhetoric yeah. or you might just see you know people just being mean and bullying yeah. right and so if this is the first introduction you have to the digital space mm. then the likelihood of you thinking differently about it about what value can be had or actually um, wanting to come back is lower because you see it as a negative space. Mm. And I hear this a lot with my trainees. There are people who specifically Facebook mm. who say, I'm not on Facebook and I don't want to be on Facebook. And I say, okay, for the next hour or two, are you open to be just <laughs> open-minded? Right. And they are. And by the end of it, they're like, okay, I see how it can add value to me and how yeah. I can add value to that space. That's interesting. So it's about that, um, those digital skills, right. trainings, and also the education mm. around how you can actually use it. The mandate then cannot lie with just what you are doing with Circumspect. The mandate must be much bigger and must be held by figures or institutions that are much bigger than just the individual. Exactly. And I'm not sure if we're doing that because, I mean, we can't say that we don't have people who don't travel because we see them travel all the time. And they see advances in technology and the yeah. use of the digital space to do incredible things globally. We can even sit here and see them do that. Yeah. But what is missing? Don't, like, don't we feel that we have what it takes to empower the next generation as you know, a collective, such that it's only the individuals with their very little resources who are just trying to push as much as they can. I think this is probably the biggest challenge with regards to the digital space, aside, you know, the cost and all of that mm. stuff. And that is um, um, smaller companies like Circumspect, we're just chipping away at the big problem, mm. right? Um, but what does need to happen is a, is a bit of policy intervention. Right. And the challenge there is a lot of the people who could drive those policy interventions are, one, themselves not in the digital space, so mm. they don't understand it. Mm. Um, two, might be of a totally different generation and have different ideas about how people ought to interact, how business ought to be done. Right. Um, and three, just think it's child's play. And that's really a big problem in, in the Ghanaian space, um, both business-wise and also with regards to, to government. Mm. They say they don't see the value in it. They don't see how there are synergies between what's happening offline and what's happening online. Mm. And so until that element is addressed, it becomes really hard for them to understand why there's actually a case to be made. Mm. Um, I don't remember the numbers, but I was looking at a tweet the other day, which was giving the numbers um, revenue that was generated from digital in the U.S. Over mm. in 2008, and it's, it has surpassed traditional media, oh, yeah. right, with regards to ads and all of that, it has yeah. surpassed all of that. And uh, there are a few reports and research papers out there that are beginning to try to quantify the digital economy, right? right? And 
our governments are nowhere near there. We are still having situations where some leaders are still calling for let's regulate the internet. Mm. You're seeing this in places like, which is quite ironic actually, places mm. like Uganda where they yeah. have the social media tax yeah. or in Tanzania where they're trying to like monitor the internet. Mm. And again, you have to come back to what was the original usage of the internet. Yeah or social media for many Ghanaians and Africans, and mm. even today. Mm. And it's for political protest. It's for trying to spur democracy. Mm. It's for trying to talk about the things that they might not necessarily have the platforms to talk right. And so that becomes like a contention mm. between certain actors and then people in the digital space. And so I think that generates a lot of mistrust and mm. fear. Um, which is why you're not seeing the kind of investments that need to be made um, going into that space. Stretching that particular point, yeah. I, I've, I, I just wonder your thoughts yeah. about this. I've always felt that social media and new media sort of evens out the, the political sort of the, the power that authority figures have had in the past. Yeah. Because, my, and this is my thinking, this is my theory. In the past, people typically won't have the opportunity to speak at the chief's palace or at, or at the gathering of, yeah. of all the people. Now they have a space where they can voice out whatever they feel and have people who subscribe to it actually support their opinions yeah. without necessarily being regulated by some other authority. And I believe that power play is, is very, very critical in terms of where we are headed as a community because people now feel that they have a voice and their voice will be heard. And I think for a lot of people, that is what they are basically just looking for. Yeah. Someone to hear them out and respect their opinion for what, it, for, for what it is. Even if it's a contest of ideas, at least you're acknowledging my voice. And I, I just feel that this is, that's what we are getting right now. Yes, I do, I do agree with you. Uh, it was actually um, the thesis of my graduate school research paper right. that um, social media and new media would help spur democracy, mm. which you are seeing. Mm. So we've moved from, it's, it's quite interesting because I would say around 2012, the space for having that kind of discourse was Twitter, right. which is really intellectual mm -hmm. and whatever, right? Um, but now you're seeing a shift. Yeah. It's shifted to Facebook right. now. For obvious reason, Facebook is more accessible to more people. Yeah. And then also, Facebook is easier to understand with regards to usage than yeah. Twitter. Twitter yeah. requires a little bit of figuring out. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're also beginning is a group of people realizing that they have voice mm. and that there's power in having that voice. Mm. But now we're entering the, the second phase of that, which is people need to realize that, that with that voice comes responsibility. Okay. Mm. And so this is where you have a lot of um, leaders or people who are not necessarily pro-new media getting their arguments from and saying, look at that, they can just say anything online mm. and then get away with it. Mm. Um, there isn't really an etiquette. There isn't really uh, a modus operandi for how you do these things. And some of them are even beginning to suggest that we should regulate yeah. social media, which right. is dangerous, mm. right? Um, but I do think that the, the conversation needs to shift to how can you be responsible even as you have this tool or this voice online, right? right? And that's why I say, uh, the first question you asked was, what does the landscape look like? Mm. That's why I said it's beginning to look like 
a subset of what's happening offline. offline. Because yeah. now it's not just a question of you have access and can say whatever, mm. but now if you, if, you, if you go on and you're trying to debase someone or you go on and you're trying to... Um, what am I trying to say here? Push an agenda. Push, like push an agenda without being respectful of the communities in which you find yourself. And so gradually you're beginning to see elements of that responsibility beginning to show. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, when you consider all of this yeah. and how dangerous the, the waters might be or how muddy the waters might be, I'm thinking about a digital entrepreneur or a technology entrepreneur trying to get into this space, trying to dominate this space. How are they going to survive this? Well, first of all, don't think you're going to dominate <laughs> this space. I don't think that's... You can dom dominate a corner of it, right. but I don't think you're going to dominate the entire space, right? Mm. Because, I mean, when it comes to the digital space, it's very fluid. And that's the first thing. Mm. You need to be, to be adaptable, right. to be flexible, mm. and to let go of your notions of what ought to be. Adaptable, flexible, and ready to let go of your, what your notions your ex are. Yeah, your very specific expectations. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is you will see a lot of entrepreneurs come online, and they already have an idea about mm. who their target um, client or customer is mm. or their audience is. Mm. And they stick with that, even mm. if what they're pushing out content-wise is, is not working. This is it. Yeah, mm. exactly. They stick with it. They're not flexible to, mm. um, to look at, oh, there might be unseen. Mm. And this is actually the power of social media especially, right. is that, or, yeah, social media especially, is that it's two-way communication. Right. It's not one-way communication. Mm -hmm. And that also means you get feedback. Mm -hmm. Now, you could get the feedback directly from your audience, and then I ask a question and then people might respond. Mm -hmm. Or you get that feedback through analytics and insights. So if I come in, the deal client is a young person based in Accra who has a, a job at a bank, and is um, interested in sports, for example. Mm. Uh, but I might start off with that and build my content strategy around mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But after, ideally, what I should be doing is looking at my analytics, looking at my insights, and then especially Facebook insights are, are really, really detailed mm. in that respect. And then I might be surprised to find out it's actually a young woman in Kumasi who that is, should be who is a target. food entrepreneur who's actually engaging with my content. Got so it. I think that's the first thing. You mm. need to be adaptable, flexible, and then open to new possibilities. Right. right? Uh, beyond that, it's conversation. Mm. It's, not, um, it's not about just sales. Right. It's not about promotion. Mm. It's not <laughs> about the hype. Right. Yes, I think I need to say right. that one again. Right. <laughs> it is not about the hype you know when when my products are talked about or when i post something and i can get people talking about it it will you know like they say no bad news is bad pr people will talk about it and you can take opportunity like you can take advantage of that to create opportunities for yourself yeah that's that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> right that that is what they say but then the question is and this is something i always challenge my trainees on they might talk about you for the 15 20 minutes of mm. fame or whatever mm. but then what after mm. 
Mm. What comes next? Mm. Right. And this is why I say it's not about the hype. Mm. At the end of the day, if the content that is just meant to be polarizing and to get people to, you know, to be controversial and get people to talk about it. I mean, Ghana is a great e example of that. Mm. Every week we have a different debate topic on social Absolutely. media. Sometimes Every, even within one week. Yes. We have like two or two three. Two or three. Yeah. And the next week it's another thing. Jumping so that's an example else. of... Mm. You know, there's talking, yeah. but then what happens afterwards? Right. Um, and for a business, I think, yes, initially you might want that visibility, but over time you need something that's a bit more sustainable. Right. And this is where branding comes into play. Mm. This is where your reputation comes into play. And then this is especially where your digital narrative comes into play. Right. And so by digital narrative, um, what I'm trying to... What is your business about? What does your business stand for? What mm. are the principles and values upon which your, your business stands? And what value do you bring? Right. Now, if you're able to communicate that really well, mm -hmm. then what will end up happening, even if there's a moment of hype and the hype goes, what will end up happening is that people who resonate with your digital narrative are going to stick around. Right. 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 And that's what you want. So for a lot of people will pay... Uh, God knows, I honestly don't even know the amounts, <laughs> but people will pay to buy followers. Right. And yes, you've bought the followers, but the do? followers you bought, at, number one, are they even... Because a lot of them are like bots. Yeah. They're robots or robot accounts, if right. you want to describe it as that. Are they even in Ghana? Are they even within your target market, mm. right? Are they even people who are interested in what you have to sell? Right. So you buy all these followers. Yes, you might have a lot of likes. But at the end of the day, when you say, I'm selling X, Y, Z, will they actually decide to pay for it? Right. And that is the question that a lot of digital entrepreneurs have to figure out. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. We're talking about the digital survival kit. So far, I've been doing terribly, and she's going to run us through the ones that hopefully I have in my kit. So, aside everything we've talked about, we, we have, you know, our, our storyline in place. We have um, everything. So, how do we then move from knowing what my story is, knowing what my brand looks like, understanding all of that to actually playing a good part and surviving as a business? Yeah, I think uh, it comes down to value. Mm. It comes down to value. Mm. And each interaction you have online, mm -hmm. um, that's an opportunity to showcase some value, right. either with regards to your business mm -hmm. or the product or service that you're Offering. hoping to sell. Uh, also, you need to be patient. Ah. Yes. So building a digital okay. business is similar to building a business in real life, right? right? As I said, they, they mirror each other. Right. And you have to be patient. Mm. So with Circumspect, for instance, We've been in the digital space for 11 years. We're mm. going on our 12th year. Mm. Um, and it's only within our seventh year that I really started having a sense of this is what the company could potentially be. This is what we stand for. And it's only three years after I started doing it full time that I, these are um, our digital products and services and this is the direction we're mm. going to go in. Mm. So it does take time. And mm. I think that's something a lot. Of, but if you are 
the whole thing is play the long game. Mm. If you are playing the hype game, which right. is the short-term game, right. then you'll be in and out mm. and you won't be able to sustain it. But if you play the long game, mm -hmm. and remember what I said about having um, digital real estate, right. uh, if you play the long game and bet on the fact that the trends are saying people are going to move online right. as infrastructure improve, costs reduce, people have more education, mm. that's the game you should be playing. Mm. And that takes time. Mm. Uh, another thing I would say is you always need to, even as someone who, who is a social media trainer and who teaches about using digital tools, I have to stay learning, right? I have to be reading things and finding out new resources and testing. Testing mm. and experimenting is mm. another thing you need to be very, very open to mm. also pay attention to the trends right. right so you have all these global trends of course a lot of it is driven by what's happening in the u.s but you still have to look at it and localize it to your specific country or community mm. right and that also plays on the content element because i think a lot of people will go online and they know that okay i should be putting out um and so what all they'll do is they'll just emulate someone sitting in San Francisco, maybe another tech entrepreneur or digital yeah. entrepreneur and copy the kind of content that they're putting out mm. and push the same thing out. Mm. But let's be real, they probably don't like have that. doom so. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. You need to ground it in your own reality. Right. And so I like to say that um, when life gives you tomatoes, make jollof. <laughs> right? So Absolute. take what Absolute. is given to you right. and then use that to create. And I think that is really where a lot of the opportunity is going to be. Okay. It's realizing that we do have an economy of our own. We do have people who have problems, and while we might, we like to say, I am building for the global market, the reality is you do not have the entire global market at your beck and call, right. especially when you're starting out, yeah. right? So look at your immediate environment, look at your unique circumstances, the history of your company, especially if you're moving from offline to online, mm -hmm. and try to find those touch points and build upon those elements. Um, what else will I say? I think productivity. Right. Uh, digital tools offer a chance to be more productive. Mm. Some people will say that's not necessarily the case because they spend God knows how much time on Instagram. Exactly. Uh, but I also think with, with each tool, the plus and minuses that I have come to appreciate is that I can be a bit more productive as someone who is a digital entrepreneur and works online. So for instance, I am less likely to go to an in-person meeting in Ghana, mm. right? If I get a phone call, I'll get a phone call or a WhatsApp message, and I'll usually route my clients through my email. So mm. I have like a flow for um, onboarding clients. I'll route them through my email. That way, they can give me a complete picture of what they need. We can have an exchange. I can get a sense of this is what they're looking for, and mm. I also have it documented. Right. Right. Easy reference. Easy reference. And then you can also clarify things if you yeah. don't understand. After that, if there's potential to work together, then we might have a um, conversation. conversation. And for the most part, if you're a digital entrepreneur and you have the opportunity to work remotely, do it. Right. Because then you're not dealing with all these additional costs mm. of, I don't have an office. Mm. People always ask me, where's your office? I'm like, you see my laptop? That's not have those physical costs of having to pay for office space. Um, even with, with, with regards to building a team, 
I say take your time with that. Find the right people. And that's a struggle for startups in general, whether mm. you're online or offline, is finding the right people for mm. a team or for a company. So take your time to find the right people. Thankfully, you have all these networks. You have LinkedIn. You might have a conversation with someone on Twitter. Right. And that those could be the beginnings of potential business partnerships or actually building a team. So take advantage of those. Well, thank you so much, Emila, for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Jamila Abdullahi there. Oh my goodness. I do hope it was as fulfilling for you as it was for me, listening to her speak and share some insights about what you need to have in your survival kits, even as we head into a future which is predominantly digital. So much insight, so much. And you know, thank you all for your messages on um, Twitter, especially we're coming to them in just a bit, but we have um, another conversation with um, the folks from Uber. So we get into that in a bit, but for now we are jumping straight into the, your tech segment. And um, today we have one major question um, on our hands and Mr. Entry joins us in the studio. Well, good evening, Mr. Entry. Good evening, Phil. How, how was the week? Uh, very, very good. It was good. Eh? Yeah, great. yeah, I can imagine with all the, sure. um, inquiry issues mm. i can imagine it would be yeah. a and so what, what, do, what do you have for us for this week yeah so this week we had a question from prince okay. it's a very very interesting question okay yeah very very interesting all right uh, i think for when i when i got the question i really didn't understand it like right. it's not possible right. so uh, let's hear let's hear it for us so, okay yeah. let's, let's hear the question then thank you prince for your question my phone um i have a problem with it when i'm in the house it's always work all right but whenever i go to town uh, i have freeze it's always freeze i don't know the reason why anything that i want to do but when i come back home the phone is working all right i want to find out what's wrong with my phone please thank you very much i'm most grateful bye bye this is truly odd yes. It's very, very strange. When he goes to town, the phone freezes. freezes. When he's home, it it's fine. Perfectly. I don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> know how we're going to work this out. Yeah. So, so when I had a conversation with you, said mostly he goes to town to like do mobile transactions, more money transactions. Right. But then once he gets there, the thing doesn't work. So it's very strange. So let's let's hear the yeah. possible solution. Sure. Thank you, Prince, for your question. The details are a bit scanty, but uh, we'll try and uh, give you the best advice we can. Phones and computers freeze with high temperature. They also freeze when the tax that you are giving to them are very heavy. What you have to do is to observe your phone closely. Take note of things like the network technology is running on. Is it 4G? Is it 3G? When you're at home and when you're away from home. Take notes of all these things, document them. Then um, switch your network to 2G, 3G, or 4G and see if it will still freeze. Some phones allow you to switch between all these different technologies. Do that and we'll know if it's the technology because sometimes when you are using 4G or 3G, the phones can, can, can heat up. And when they heat up, 
they will freeze. I hope this proves helpful. Thank you. I, I don't I don't know. I really hope this yeah. helps because it's a very complicated situation that he sure. finds himself in. But I'm I'm hoping that the advice will go down well and you'll be able to um figure something out. Your your thoughts finally. Uh finally uh, it's very strange. So I just say Prince should listen to the expert and then diagnose the phone, get to know what actually right. is wrong with it. Yeah, right. Sure. Right. All right. So thank you so much, uh, Mr. Enchi, for that. And a big thank you, of course, to Eddie Poku, who is our in-house um, tech expert who um, gives us as much advice as possible. And for those of you who are doing the listening, who have an issue or two with, um, you know, your devices, just send us a message on our WhatsApp number 054-998-6996 right now. Um, no matter what it is, we'll call you back, we'll get back to you so we can figure out what exactly is going on with your device and give you the best answers possible. And now we're going to have a conversation um, with um, the leading lady um, for Uber West Africa. Um, she is the general manager for Uber West Africa, Lola Kasim, as she speaks to us and gives us an understanding of how safe Uber actually is. I guess, Lola, where I want to start from is how safe is Uber? Great. Um, so one, thanks again. It's uh, great to be here with you today. Um, so how safe is Uber? I mean, it's a great question. Uh, I think something that's uh, critical for, I think, you know, your listeners to know is that for us, safety is number one. Mm. Safety is, in fact, the top priority of the company. It was last year, uh, and it's this year again. But what does it mean for us to say that safety is a top priority? Yeah. I think to set the context, we know that no form of transport is 100% safe. If you get into a taxi, you drive your car, you're on a bus, nothing is 100% safe. But the beauty of technologies like Uber is that we can bring safety through technological innovation that you know, wasn't possible before. Um, so this includes things like before your trip, right? Before a trip, if you request an Uber ride, you can see the name, the face, uh, the license plate of the driver in the vehicle who's coming to you. Maybe like the color. Yeah, even the, even the color, right? This is something that wasn't possible before Uber. When you're on the trip, of course, most people should know that your trip is traced and tracked. Mm -hmm. So we can use that GPS functionality to have traceability and trackability where it wasn't uh, there before. Mm -hmm. And then what about after the trip? Uh, something that for us is critical is being able to give feedback. So riders can rate their drivers. Mm -hmm. Drivers can rate the riders uh, as well to give that feedback so that we can constantly uh, work on improving mm -hmm. uh, the application. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a nutshell, I mean, safety for us is number one. We're always innovating, uh, trying to bring new features to the application to um, provide an even more safe experience for our riders and drivers. Sometimes what happens is no matter the innovation, you always have things happening on the ground. So mm -hmm. we've had reports about people questioning the safety, you know, on the app and that some of the drivers that they ride with. What, what exactly is Uber doing to reassure the people who download the app, who use the app on a daily basis about the safety that is available just because they are using the mobile application? No, um, great question, right? So I think, as I mentioned, you know, no form of transport is 100% safe. Mm. And for us, I mean, having one incident, of course, is too many. Right. But in the, you know, in the case where unfortunately an incident may occur, um, we have um, 
steps in place and also okay. processes in place to help riders and drivers receive the best support possible. Mm -hmm. So we have number one 24-7 customer support that's available to both riders and drivers through the application. Now in the case something unfortunate should happen like an incident, we also have an incident response team and they again are available 24-7 and this is a team that is specially trained to deal with serious incidents. Mm -hmm. So where needed, let's say for example, the police uh, get involved in something, this is a team that's able to provide the police that, uh, with information that's necessary uh, to follow up on, on the incident as well. So I think for us, it's not just having these safety features, right? But in the case where something happens, what's the support that we're able to provide? Uh, and we believe the support that we're able to provide is, is world class. There are reports that some persons are not necessarily registered on the Uber app, but then they're still posing as Uber drivers. I don't know if some of these reports have come to you and what Uber is, is doing about that. Because it's, it's scary, you know, when someone shows up and, you know, they see they're an Uber driver, but you're not really sure. What, what, what are you doing about that? So these reports are very disturbing for us, right? Because for the safety of riders and also for the safety of drivers as well, it's critical that the people who are, you know, registered on the Uber application are the people who are coming uh, to pick riders up. Mm -hmm. So there are a few tips that I want to mention okay. uh, as well and some advice that I want to okay. give uh, to the to the community. So as I mentioned, you know, when you request your Uber ride, you can see the face of the driver, you can see the name of the driver, you can see the car make, model and color. Right. So number one, if someone's coming to pick you up, you see an Uber ride and it's not the right car, don't get in the car, mm. right? Mm. So feel free to politely cancel the trip uh, and then, uh, you know, and also let us know at Uber so that we can take the appropriate measures. Mm. Uh, and if you get charged a cancellation fee, again, just let us know what's happened. We'll refund the fee. Okay. Same thing. If someone comes and for some reason they're not the right person, do not get in the car. Mm. You know, cancel the trip and please let us know. Mm. Because it's only through this feedback, uh, you know, in real time from customers, that we can make sure that we're continually improving the process. Mm. Of course, technology comes into play as well. Um, so we have something, it's called essentially real-time uh, ID uh, facial re recognition, right? Okay. So from time to time, drivers are actually uh, asked to upload uh, selfies so that we can uh, verify that the person who's driving the car, who's got the app open, is a person who they say they are. But in those unfortunate incidences where you may have the wrong vehicle or the wrong driver, again, please report it to us because it's critical for the safety of riders and drivers uh, that we can take measures to address uh, these if, issues. If I may ask, I mean, sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of backlash on the drivers, but sometimes the passengers are not the nicest bunch of people. <laughs> and if there's a driver who's listening right now, what assurance will you give them as to what sort of safety measures are in place for them, the drivers? Because some passengers can be, yeah, very weird. <laughs> now, thank you very much for this question, because I want to make it clear that when we talk about safety, it's not just safety for riders. Mm. It is also safety for drivers right. as well. Uh, so I think number one thing to mention is that we have community guidelines in place as Uber, and these are community guidelines that are applicable both to riders and to drivers. So what are these? These are essentially guidelines that outline how we expect people using the Uber platform to relate to each other. So there's some very basic things like 
respect each other, don't use foul language, um, don't soil the driver's car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and getting everything down to, you know, um, you know, no weapons, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the important point I want to harp on here is that these are guidelines that um, uh, apply to both riders and drivers. Mm. And both riders and drivers who are in violation of these guidelines may no longer be able to use the Uber application again. Mm. We also have some other specific um, uh, features um, uh, that are designed with driver safety in mind. Um, one of them is that we have essentially uh, an SOS button. So let's say a driver is on a trip uh, and is somewhere where they don't feel safe. Uh, they have an option uh, to uh, use this uh, feature uh, and we will try to get um, uh, emergency assistance to the driver at that time. Both riders and drivers, of course, uh, can share their trips with loved ones while they're on the trip so their loved ones can see where they are uh, to uh, ensure that they're able to communicate uh, and find their way at the end of the, the night or the end of the morning uh, home safely uh, as well. Um, and again, I mentioned our in-app support 24-7. That's available uh, to both riders uh, and drivers. Does it bother you that the issue of safety keeps popping up, especially when it has to do with Uber? Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I'm not going to say that it bothers me um, because it's something that's important for everyone, right? For you, for me, uh, for riders, for drivers, for their friends, their family. Safety, I mean, it's just something that's fundamentally important uh, to all of us. I think what's important, though, is that we continue uh, to improve um, and innovate to address concerns that come up. So I understand why it comes up. Safety and security uh, is paramount, but we need to make sure that we're doing the best uh, to address uh, concerns uh, that do arise. Now, quite apart from the feedback loop that exists and the rapid response team for example what happens specifically to drivers who engage in all sorts of acts you know um, messaging passengers mm -hmm. at all times of the night which they're not supposed to be doing and things what happens to people who basically do these things offend you know um, passengers and things like that mm -hmm. what happens specifically to them Great. So this comes back to those community guidelines I mentioned that outline essentially how drivers and riders are meant to treat each other. Okay. So um, in a case where a driver or a rider uh, is violating these principles, um, you know, uh, with inappropriate behavior. So, for example, texting after the trip. This is both for the rider and for the driver. What happens is that when we receive this report, um, these reports will be then looked at by our specialized support teams, okay. right? Um, and depending on the nature of the incident, uh, it may be that the rider or the driver receives feedback about why the uh, incident uh, is inappropriate. Uh, and then in cases where, um, you know, uh, based on our policies, it's deemed uh, unacceptable, either a rider or a driver can have access to their application removed. Um, I think the important thing is that, of course, we don't want incidents, we won't, don't want complaints, of course. Uh, you know, that means there's been a bad experience. Exactly. enjoy the ride. Exactly. So for us, that's what we want. We want these magical five-star experiences for both the rider and for the driver, right? But in these instances where, unfortunately, something does happen, most important thing is to provide that feedback. 24-7, you can report through the app. If it's a safety-related case, a rider will receive, um, you know, feedback uh, and a call, uh, you know, often within minutes, right? So most important thing, if something does happen, please do get in touch if, so that we can rectify the situation. If I can push the envelope just a tiny little bit, under what conditions is a driver kicked off the app, if, if it's 
possible for you to give me. Sure. So I won't give specific cases um, because, uh, again, you know, there's a, a gamut. But I think the, the key thing to remember is essentially for violation of our community guidelines. Okay. And depending on the specific case, again, it may be a case where someone uh, receives a warning and then if there's repeated behavior, they get kicked off the platform. But again, we have a, a robust set of policies uh, that are essentially based off of our community guidelines. People, people have asked also about the issue of the vetting of the drivers because people feel that they, they go through a certain level of checks before they are approved to be on the platform. Mm -hmm. So if you could also explain to listeners what the vetting process is like sure. for, for drivers, I think it would be really helpful. Sure. So before a drivers, uh, as they're being onboarded, mm -hmm. um, there are certain checks that they do need to go through. Okay. Uh, and part of this is essentially basic document validation. So uh, ensuring that, you know, you have a valid driver's license, um, vehicle insurance, roadworthiness checks, um, etc. And then in addition to that, drivers also uh, undergo a screening test as well. There are lots of scrutiny on ride-sharing safety. What are you doing to ensure that riders are safe? Great. Yeah, so I think when it comes down to it, I mean, Uber, we're a ride-sharing company, right? So the technology that we have is essentially ride-sharing because, you know, someone with one car can, you know, share their, their, their ride uh, amongst, uh, 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 amongst uh, different users at different times. Mm -hmm. And there are people who actually carpool, which is great, yes. which is a great uh, tip because, you know, you save even more money, right? Mm -hmm. An Uber ride that costs however much is now going to be half. So mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, if you know the person, you trust them, uh, you know, it's something, you know, we uh, encourage for, you know, the more people in cars, uh, the better. But I think at the end of the day, um, in terms of safety, it comes down to the, you know, the features um, uh, that I've mentioned and our constant striving to ensure that we have you know, additional features as well. I think something I haven't mentioned, um, but that's important um, for both riders and drivers to be aware of, is also our insurance cover. Mm -hmm. Um, so a few months ago, um, we announced um, uh, essentially injury protection uh, insurance uh, for both drivers and riders. And we've partnered in Ghana with Old Mutual to provide this. So what this means is that, you know, if you're a rider and you're on a trip and unfortunately something should happen, uh, just make sure you know that you are covered by insurance. And a driver from the time he accepts a trip uh, to the time he's completed, drivers are, are covered as well. So that, again, we don't want incidents to happen, mm. but, you know, it's inevitable, um, you know, whether it's ride sharing or not, crashes happen on the road, et cetera, et cetera. But I think uh, important to know that there is insurance cover available uh, where needed. So to what extent does Uber step in, for example, when there's a dispute over the transaction cost or a ride cost or things like that? Mm -hmm. Are you involved in any way? Do you sort of, if there's, if the dispute is such a huge one, do you step in? Like, how, how exactly are you involved with that? Um, that's an, uh, a great question. So, as always, I always uh, tell mm. people, you know, as soon as you have an, uh, an incident, what should you think about? Or if you're, you know, maybe there's a verbal altercation potentially between a rider and a driver, always think, report to Uber and through the app. Mm. Um, so my number one advice is don't argue uh, over fares. This is advice we give to driver partners. This is advice we give to riders as well. Mm. You know, we don't want things to escalate. Um, so for a driver partner, for example, you know, occasionally a rider may not have enough cash on them. 
not the end of the world. Um, if a driver uh, reports this to us, of course, we'll do an investigation on our side, and where it's merited, we'll provide the driver with appropriate compensation. So how we would get involved is essentially, if a report is made to us, we will follow up on every report, our teams will do the investigations necessary, and compensate the driver or rider if needed, and if there has been a violation of our community guidelines, of course, we'll take the appropriate action. It's all well and good for people to provide feedback, but I guess sometimes the question is how long does it take for a redress of that feedback? I'm wondering if you can touch on that briefly. Um, very fair question as well. So, of course, you know, like most support systems um, that you'll find in different industries, of course, um, you know, we essentially, you know, will triage, right? So I think if you've ever reported to Uber, you'll probably find that you're, uh, you get a response pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, it's something that um, we're quite proud of, mm -hmm. um, the level of support that we're able to provide. But where there is a safety-related incident, uh, and you mentioned the rapid response team, where there's a safety-related incident, we may take extra steps to make sure um, that a rider can be, uh, uh, you know, a driver can be reached out to um, uh, as soon as possible. But you'll generally receive uh, feedback um, uh, quite quickly. Um, and again, if you don't, please follow up. Um, and I think one thing I often do hear is that people are saying, I haven't heard back from Uber, and I say that. That sounds very strange. Mm. Make sure that you're checking the email address mm. registered on your Uber account, because some people have registered with an email account they don't normally check. So it's quite important that you actually check the email address that's registered on your account, because that's really the only way that we're able to get in touch. But also check in your app as well, because right. we'll be providing updates on your request there too. Now, we, we know it's, it's not new knowledge that you are operating in a very competitive environment, especially in Ghana, across Africa and West Africa. How, how does your safety offering compare to that of the competition currently? So I won't speak specifically into the competition, but what I will say again is that safety for us is a priority, mm -hmm. right? And I've mentioned, you know, kind of a number of features that we've put in place, and I think uh, what's exciting about a company like Uber is that we're continually doing these things, right? You know, of course, when we started, we've had GPS tracking for a while, but you're always hearing about new things. So for example, last year we launched what's called the safety toolkit. So there's all these safety features I've been mentioning, but actually when you're on a trip, there's actually, you just have to click one place. You'll see a shield next to safety, right? Mm. And you can find all of the safety information in one place, right? Things, uh, for example, like driving hour limits. Um, so last year we implemented a policy that essentially uh, means that drivers can only drive for a certain number of hours mm. before they're asked to take a break. Mm. Now, why would we do something like this? Mm. Uh, this is because of research that we've seen that says, you know, after drivers, you know, driven for a certain number of hours, they're more likely to be drowsy and the incidence of um, accidents becomes more likely. Right. So it's because of that, um, which, hey, I mean, of course, we'd love drivers to drive as much as possible, but this is coming down fundamentally to safety, right? So because of things like this, we've implemented features called driving hour limits, which are really about the safety of drivers, making sure they're safe, they have enough time uh, to rest, our driver partners, and riders as well. Um, so I think for us, it's that continual innovation to deliver additional safety features. I mean, you can have the driver hour limits. Mm -hmm. How do you actually ensure that they stick to it? Sure. I mean, we do our best through essentially the application, right? So after a driver has hit their limits, I mean, they just won't be able to, to get requests until they've taken a six-hour break. What's happening in Ghana? Like, are you guys going to have a party soon? 
Now what's going on <laughs> in, in Ghana? Great, uh, great question. I mean, it's always a party in Ghana, right? <laughs> yes, it it's is. always an Uber party in Ghana. So what's happening? I mean, I think we're still continuing uh, to enjoy uh, the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still see great potential here, of course, not just in Accra, but also Kumasi. Uh, we celebrated the first anniversary of Uber and Kumasi just mm-hmm. a few months ago, which was really exciting. Um, Valentine's Day was last week. I'm sure a lot of people saw our, uh, <laughs> our exciting offering of a single survival kit. Yeah. So we'll continue, uh, we'll definitely be continuing to do uh, exciting things uh, across the market. Ghana, we should be. Yes, and I'm very excited to also announce um, that we have recently uh, brought in uh, a new country manager uh, for Ghana uh, as of last month, uh, Jessica Poku, uh, who's been here, which is uh, quite exciting for us. And I think really demonstrates that, you know, we're excited to be here. We want to make sure that we have uh, the right people uh, on the ground uh, to make sure that riders and drivers can continue to have uh, a great experience. We'll be, we'll be looking forward to um, speaking with Jessica in a couple of weeks. Um, well, the show is City Trends on 97.3 City FM. We have some more conversations coming up. Well, I do hope you had some answers to your questions. Thank you, Mark Jordan, for um, your input as well on the show. Really appreciate it. We just have a couple of minutes to run through some trending stories, including a voter for an appointing um, first Ghanaian CEO. And she's a woman! Farida, you're welcome! It's actually the top story. It's, it's, yeah, it's, so it's such it's a big everywhere. story. It's such yeah. an important story. Of course, in the tech space, everybody's talking about it. Yeah, you know Vodafone. So it's it's Vodafone. And of course, Ghanaian CEO, the first of yeah. her kind. And her appointment takes effect, uh, effect on February, uh, April 1st, 2019. I don't want to think about a date much, but April 1, yes. Uh, 2019, and she's a member of Vodafone's um, uh, Ghana's executive committee, committee. Yeah. the first Ghanaian, of course. She is an engineer by profession, and she comes into her role with 22 years of experience. So wow. you can imagine, this is someone and who I knows hear, her stuff. I, hear, I mean, she started off at Melicom, which is Tigo. She yes, was actually yes. a national She service. did 14 years was, with Tigo. She started from national service straight Of into course, so it tells you about the determination and where yeah. you want to go. Absolutely. Okay, so Absolutely. it doesn't matter. It, it will happen. It's a beautiful story. So so actually, in her own words, she says she was looking forward to taking up the new role and leading the company in the next phase mm. of its development. Mm. And her focus will be to continue to push the boundaries of innovation and position Vodafone as a key challenger in the market. And together with her outstanding staff, um, they are going to make Vodafone Ghana um, uh, a top notch, of course. And they are also confident that the company will remain a tr- strong competitor in the industry here in Ghana. So she took over from Yolanda Cuba, um, who was here as yes, the current CEO, yeah. and she's moving to South Africa. So, yes, this is great news. Um, we are happy for her. Why, why are you no, saying I'm just, I'm just happy that we have a Ghana. Yeah, from one woman to another woman. You that's, know, that's it's just somebody was asking. That's um, 
Mr. H was asking why, you know, the women are all over the place. We're actually all over the place. I mean, all over the place. Properly. Because, yes. And, and, and <laughs> we really want to be all over. Yeah, she, she deserves, deserves it. You know, She's worked for it. She is qualified for it. And I, th I believe that's what matters. Yeah, yeah. It helps. You know, women in, in the space also helps. So that's the only story that matters to That's the only story Face. that matters. So you can read more about it. And then, of course, good luck to her. Citynewsroom.com is the website you should be checking out. But a big thank you to our sponsors, Hoptel, helping you collect money payments or collect payments easily and NIT bringing people and computers together successfully. You can follow Farida on social media at Farida Shaibu. And of course, Mr. Entry, a big thank you to you. Jeffrey Urikusapo, a big thank you to you. A big thank you to Jamila Abdullah for your um, for your incredible wisdom shared on the show today. A big thank you to you. We are going to be having the debate question um, coming up on the very first um, of March. We're going to be putting it out there so you can um, let us know if you want to debate for or against the topic. We're also going to be having in the month of March the review of the quarter with the ladies as well. It is City Trends and we are more than happy to support the tech community in Ghana. Till next week, stay techy.